Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, Episode 93, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. Why schools valedictorians may not be as likely as you think to become millionaires. And which 12 states spend less on schools now than before the 2008 recession. Stay tuned. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, why our guest is making the argument for more tests, not less. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire, Lissa Pruitt. Lissa, how are you doing? I am great. How are you? Fantastic. I'm glad to hear your voice is back. I was worried about you. It was like three (laughs) weeks of like scratchiness. I know. But you're all good now. You were telling me a story, and I don't know any details about this, but this is a local one, but I think it's neat. Um, There's apparently an attorney in town who has quit being an attorney, Mm -hmm. and she's now going to be a teacher. Yeah. uh, Yes, it's amazing. So she is a young, bubbly. She's also a great knitter she yeah. makes these crocheted little animals and dolls and every, it's wow. she's very creative but she is a local uh well-known female attorney and she has so she's like a successful attorney it's yeah. not like she's like tried out the law thing and it didn't work out no no she's yeah. um but she um she and her husband talked about it and they feel like that that they're just going and go they have two kids two adorable young children and they um, talked about it and decided that, you know, she wanted to be a part of their life more and wanted to help out and, and feel like she's giving back to her community more. So she has stepped away from law and is now going to be teaching at a local fourth and fifth grade school teaching English. Wow. And um, Maybe some she Latin just announced in there too. it this week. That's really cool. Yeah. And I mean, they're super fortunate to have her right. for sure because she is, she's just a very well-spoken, polished, kind, very smart yeah. woman. And she has... Um, we might need to try to invite her on the show. Maybe, oh, I'm sure she her, would love to. Maybe we should to. let her get her sea legs first. Yeah, but. and it's so adorable because, I mean, I know I know her. And so, um, and I've taught her children, both of them. They're, uh, one is probably maybe in first grade. Uh, the other one is maybe starting kindergarten next year. And mm-hmm. so she just said, you know, we were stressed to the max. And this is going to allow me to feel like what I'm doing makes a difference and also give me time with my family. So how's that for the teacher shortage? You know, right. like what if her story goes nationwide to where people stop and think, wait a minute, you know, am I making enough to at the, at what cost, right. you know? Right, right. And so, um, so she says it's just a huge, you know, I think they were probably, and she could probably speak to this, but they were, 
stressed out even with after school care because, you know, her job didn't allow her to be at home with the kids after right. school and things and she's like missing that. Out on and, stuff and right. So it's really adorable though because she, you know, she made this big announcement and you know, of course she like posted on Facebook or Yes. Yeah. And every I mean, the comments, people are like, What? Like kinda like why? You know, because right. you hear about all this teacher shortage in our area and every area, you know, and you hear about that, you know, people are walking away from education, but then you have somebody that has a law degree that's heading towards it. And I think that's wonderful. And there needs to be more people like that. That's, that's choosing it for the right reasons. But she's, you know, she's, you know, you have veteran teachers saying to her like, Hey, look, the first year is going to be rough, but hang in there. You know, she's like, that's what I've heard. Like she's nervous. Um, well, I did give her advice. I told I, I she'll be at my campus. And so I just said, you, you know, you're working with great people. You're going to love it. And because, you know, I, I have a business for 14 years now of mm-hmm. successful art business. And so this last year I went back to public education. And so it was kind of like this, you know, big deal when I decided to go back to public education so many people said, you know, oh my gosh, they're so fortunate to have you. They're so lucky yeah. to have you. And I was shocked by that because I'm just a teacher like anybody else. But I think when someone, cho- when when the community knows that someone is choosing to go back into education, yeah. it's clearly not for the money. You know, it's, it's for the right reasons because you want to make a difference because you feel like you can make a difference and you realize that that job has a lot to offer you and that you have a lot to offer the children, then everyone's excited because we need more of that. I would, I would like to say if, you know, you just bring up that salary a little bit more, you would see more of that. You would, you know, I mean, you would see people say, just like you said, you know, yeah, I make 70 grand a year, but it, I never see my kids. Mm-hmm. If I became, and you I'm know, paying child care, and right. I'm, you know, exactly running ragged and her husband was too. And so they're, you know, they just kind of decided that this was the best for their family. And, she she will do a great job. The school will be super blessed to have her. And, you know, we were just talking on a previous episode about how great it is to have a great literature teacher that can spark your mm-hmm. love of reading so that you become a lifelong reader. And she's one of those people she would. She I mean, would I'm sure that. this type of stuff happens elsewhere, but you don't hear about it a lot. You really don't. So I, I know I, we need to I, hear I, more yeah, about it. <laughs> right. I do. We need to reach out to her. Well, good. Good little story. Um, we aren't even into the teacher's lounge yet, but let's go ahead and jump in there. You got you got something today? OK, this is so crazy, but I mean, it makes sense. But did you know, were, were you your school's valedictorian, Nick? <laughs> You no. just barely missed it. Yeah, I just mi- barely missed <laughs> barely. it. Same. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, just kidding. I think my twin sister did just barely miss oh, it, really? but I was nowhere near. <laughs> <laughs> no, but anyway, turns out valedictorians rarely become the millionaires that we think they become. I'm, I'm not trying to insult any valedictorians because I'm sure they're very successful ones, but I'm not surprised when you say that. I was surprised, but it's a shame that Russ is not with us today because he would be like, no, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> because he always acts like he maybe didn't do his best in school. Well, I, I need to, <laughs> I don't, it would take me too long to find it, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to set this up and I'll, I'll put it into the show um, if I can find it. But there was, um, Conan O'Brien was giving a commencement address at... Dartmouth or something like that. I think it might have been Dartmouth. I have seen it. Have you seen it? Yes. And he's like, congratulations. Today you have achieved something special. Something only 92% of Americans your age will ever know. A college diploma. That's right, with your college diploma, 
you now have a crushing advantage over 8% of the workforce. I'm talking about dropout losers like Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, and Mark Zuckerberg. Good luck. Yeah, right. <laughs> Top that. Yeah, right. I'll, I'll plug it in. It's funny. Um, so yeah, the average millionaire's GPA is a 2.9. So when they wow. polled and looked at, hey, who's running the world out there? Yeah. Um, their GPA was, their average was a 2.9. And Eric Barker, who his book is Barking Up the Wrong Tree. Mm-hmm. Um, he tries to go on to explain it, which it made perfect sense. Because at first I was like, what? But the way he... Can I guess? Sure. Can I, I'm going to get... I have not read this okay. in detail. I only saw the headline. But I think that millionaires are going to be people who are a little bit more of a risk taker, um, kind of go out on a limb, maybe be more aggressive, where somebody who's a valedictorian, you're probably more calculated. You follow the rules. Um, and so these people who are going to be wealthy you know, took those risks. You don't hear about the ones that lost, lost their butts. But you yes. do hear about the ones that were... Am I right? You are exactly right. Yeah. So the millionaires have grit. Yeah. And they are good po- problem solvers. They've had to work through difficult things and do it in different ways. Um, whereas the valedictorians are wonderful rule followers. They believe in the system and they work for the system. Mm-hmm. So they are the system that makes it work. But the... 2.9 GPA millionaires out there are the ones that challenged the system right. and said, this system isn't working for me, so I'm going to go make a system that works for me, and then, lo and behold, it works for others. Right. So then now we have a new system. I mean, look, it, it takes a lot of nerve to start a business. Yeah, it like, does. <laughs> not, not just to start a business. It takes a lot of nerve to hire a team of people when you may not have the money to pay them. And, and yeah. that happens all the time. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I know you've had a handful of employees and I just think about people who have had 10, 20 employees and they're not really sure that they're going to make budget. Um, well, and- even if you don't, even if you're a startup that's not even big enough to have employees, I mean, like when I started my business, it's just me teaching art. You know, I didn't need someone else, right. but you're asking people to bring their children to you and trust that it's going to be worth what they're paying, that they're going to walk away and be like, yeah, we're glad we did that. Yeah. You know, so and you got to be confident. And still today, I still, I, I mean, I did a little spring break art camp. And when they when they were leaving, I was hoping that they all got in the car and thought, I'm glad we did that. But, but what, you know, what if someone said no? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, look, I, I do video work for folks. And um, I recently did a video for a, a local business in town. And I sent it to them, like, days ago. And, you know. It's the worst. And, and then you just, it's like, you, this is your creation. So right. they don't know that you're like blood, sweat, and tears and, and like your uh-huh. creative instincts are into it. So you send it to them and it goes out on email and they probably looked at it, but they don't respond for like days. <laughs> and then finally, like, I'll give them a few days, you know, because they're busy, right? <laughs> and and then I'll finally email and be like, hey, you know, is there, is there anything we need to work on on the videos and things you want to change? And like this happened to me today. And then this guy writes back who I sent the video to. He's like, oh, my gosh, we love the video so much. It was so great. We think it's awesome. Um, let's get together on the next project. But he was just busy. And But, right. but that window of waiting, like, exactly. you kind of put but yourself out also, there. But you then know? also, I will say, too, to the millionaires out there, they had somebody that didn't get back to them. They reached Probably out. Probably like 20 And then times. the person yeah. didn't get back to them. They reached out. And then the person said, actually, we just didn't like it. Yeah. And then that, that person had to go back and say, well, I'll swing at it again. Whereas somebody that's a rule follower and that can't take risks that they immediately take that as a closed door and they walk away from it. Right. You know, so I I do think that, you know, 
those people that have a 2.9, they've faced Some adversity. Yeah, adversity. <laughs> they've, you know, yeah. and maybe they've worked hard at things and didn't work hard at things. Maybe and they, they know what that feels talker, like. You yeah. know, because I mean, you got to, you know, talk your way out of, around your parents and so forth. I think it really mm-hmm. is a personality that comes with not being a perfect student. Yeah. And so, it's not a bad thing. You know thing. what, guys? Hug your kids tight tonight right. because yeah. you may have someone that brought home a really bad grade. That um, and they're going to be rich. You know, they're, they, they, yeah, it is not all lost. <laughs> I, I like that story. I think it's good. I mean, it, it's not a knock at the valedictorians because you know what? They're the probably the scientists who are curing cancer and things like that. And you know, they're they're by the book. Um, and we need those people yeah. just as much, if not more. Right. So, it, <laughs> just rich is not the only uh, measure of success for sure. Um, okay, so big recession, two thousand eight. You remember it? Yes. It was a rough one. And, um, you know, a lot of states had to cut back on their funding. So CBS News says, all right, well, all these states cut back on their funding during the recession, but now everything's pretty much recovered. You look at the market, the job market, the stock market, we're in pretty good shape compared to then, probably compared to just before 2008. So logically, school funding should be... Better back. than it was, should yeah. Be back. Should be back, right? <laughs> Twelve states, it's not when you factor in for inflation. Twelve states, it is still way under. Um, and that, like, what do you think about that? Before we even dive into which states, it's what? Just, it's so depressing. I've been seeing it a lot on Facebook. You know, these statistics that you're naming, even them referencing pre two thousand eight. You know, and it's like it's just, it's just bothersome. It's it's really bothersome. A friend of mine that works at the school that I work at, she sent a letter to, you know, her representatives and such, and then she posted it on Facebook. And all these people commented, aren't you worried about losing your job because you did this? I mean, mm-hmm. aren't you worried about that? And that is that bothered me. Like, why should she be worried about losing her job? Because That's she true. wrote a letter to somebody that she cast a vote for, right. you know? So then it's like, uh, why is she worried? And she's number one, not at her job right now. She's at home sending, uh, you know, an email because she, that's her right to voice to say, Hey, do you not notice this? Right. And they tell teachers all the time, speak up, speak up, make sure, make your, make your voice known. But then you have other people that say, you know, you shouldn't be speaking up. You're a representative of the school. You shouldn't be speaking up against this or whatever. And it's, it's to me, it's no different than doctors that speak up about how there needs to be reform with medication, you know, insurance, billing and the, you know, prices that they're, why, why can't doctors speak up about yeah, that? Right. They should, that's their yeah. field. They're in there. Yeah. It's just because things are political and so, right. You know, but I mean, it's just, and, ugh. anyway, yeah. but I mean, it is, it's bothersome. I don't understand why, like, except for that they just basically held up a middle finger and said, you know, well, you're doing fine. You've well, made it this I mean, far. So we're going to, I mean, we'll, maybe it runs a little deeper in the sense that like, you know, legislators had to cut school funding, you know, around 2008, but they always wanted it lower anyhow. They felt like it was bloated. And so they've been slow to bring it back up. And, um, and what bothers me is we are in Mississippi in an election cycle. Uh, I think the house just passed a $4,000 pay increase for teachers, all teachers. And that's great. The Senate's apparently dragging their feet. It's not great though, because it's, it's still below average. Okay, it is sorry. still below average. I'm sorry. It's sorry. It, it is an sorry. increase. But it but it's it, it is it is frustrating that 
it took an election to make this happen, yes. to make that happen, just $4,000. Right. But it also is frustrating that, you know, teachers sound ungrateful when they're like 4000 That's, you know, that's what, you know, where you have other states that are doing more and then Mississippi does 4000 but then they can't even get it passed through. And Mississippi is on the list of the 12 states that are still below that pre-recession funding. Mm-hmm. We are 3% below, which isn't bad. Like we're on the, the, I guess you call it the low end of the list. There's some states that are much worse. Idaho, 3%. Mississippi's 3%. Arizona, 6%. North Carolina, 7%. This is behind recession funding. Utah, 8%. And this is per pupil is how they calculated this. West Virginia, 8 Michigan, 9 Kansas, 12 Kentucky, 13 Alabama, 15 Oklahoma, 15 I was wondering where Oklahoma was. <laughs> and Texas, 20 Yeah. And um, there's been strikes in Oklahoma, Kentucky, West Virginia, North Carolina, in Arizona, so uh, five, five or six of those on that list. Um, so, do you think that they're doing? They're not paying up, kind of spitefully because of strikes. Like, hey, just to show no. you, just because you strike, you're not going to get your way. No, like, I think I really think it goes back to what I was originally saying. I, I think that you know, the I'm not going to say they were opportunistic with the recession, but the numbers came back more in line with what you know certain people believed. They should have been, and they've been real slow to bring it back up. It's kind of, I guess, if I was to try to relate it to anything in my world when I was in television, I remember my our sales manager. He would always say, um, "It takes forever to bring rates up. Like a half hour commercial costs four hundred dollars." He's like, "It take us took us forever to get that high, but if we cut them, they'll go real fast. But we'll have to, it'll take years to get them back up that high again. And it's it's easy to cut it's just overnight. We got to do it, but then you got to slowly climb it back up and to get that money back and and I think that, you know, some of these legislators have been dragging their feet. But you shouldn't be able to tout a $4,000 pay raise when you're still below Great Recession funding. Period. No. That's ridiculous. That's what, I know. That's what you I'm know? saying. Is it? And it, it's, it's frustrating to me because I feel like I'm a very positive person. Yeah. So it, it bothers me that I'm not able to be like, yay, I'm a, you know, like when you said it's great. And then I say, no, it's not. Because you're right. It's not. I hate yeah. that, I, that I have to say that, though. Like they, we shouldn't have even had to say that. You're right. Well, (laughs) are you ready for the bright idea? Yes. Give me something bright. All right. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is making the argument for more testing, not less. Dr. Nick Soderstrom is a cognitive psychologist with an expertise in human learning and memory. He's currently teaching at Montana State University. Nick, welcome to Class Dismissed. Great. It's great to be here. Thank you for your interest. Uh, I discovered this uh, theory that you have where students actually need to test more um, in an article that you wrote on medium.com and you titled that article, Why We Need More Testing, Not Less. And in the first line of that article, you open up, you really caught my attention. You said, testing has become a bad word in our society. How did that happen? (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's just from the fact that when most people think of the word testing, they think of high stakes assessments. So in class exams, uh, the SAT, ACT, stuff like that, where there's a lot riding on the outcome. Um, and so obviously those are nerve, nerve wracking experiences for students. Um, and so I think in a lot of ways, the word testing has, it, it has a pretty dubious reputation right now in education because so many people associate it with high stakes assessments and standardized evaluations. 
Um, so when that happened, I'm not too sure. That's just over time. That's just the way it's it's happened. And so you're arguing that that we need to test more, but more as a learning tool rather than an assessment tool. Am I understanding that right? Yes, yes, absolutely. So I think in terms of assessments, assessment tests, we we give enough of those to our students. Um, but testing from the perspective of a learning scientist is really anything that encourages students to retrieve information from their own memories. So these are things like asking questions in class, um, having students teach other students, these sorts of things. Um, are testing in the sense that you're getting the students to retrieve information themselves as opposed to giving them the information. So um, from my perspective, um, anything that gets students to retrieve information has a great potential to enhance learning in all sorts of ways. So if I'm hearing you right, I guess the first thing that that goes to my mind is um, that means we should hand test out the students, but we shouldn't grade the test. Is is that what you're saying, or is it more comprehensive than that? Well, I think I think grades do have a place in education. Um, so, I mean, until I see a, a a better alternative to that sort of system, I think grades do have a a, a place, but um, they shouldn't be really the only uh, times in which you're testing your students. So, things like low stakes or no stakes quizzes, um, things that again, get students to retrieve information, um, those things will boost learning and they don't have to have uh, any kind of um, grade associated or points associated with them at all. And in fact, um, if you start using retrieval practice or testing as a learning tool, they really shouldn't be graded or have a lot of um, points associated with them. So you could, because you want to make um, students realize that, the, that these sort of assessments uh, if you will, um, this retrieval practice is for their learning not to be graded. What I really like, though, is you, I think you you highlight uh, a moment where, and I know you use a lot of research to back up what you're saying, but you, you, you highlight a moment where you're talking about students reading something over and over and over again and, and practically memorizing it versus somebody reading it over a few times and then being tested on it. And, and I think um, you pointed out the fact that when you're tested on it, you retain it better than just reading it over and over again. Is that right? Yes, exactly. And in the case where a student reads something over and over and over again, um, it, in the moment, it might feel like they're learning it um, because they they keep reading it over and over. But um, that sort of fluency um, in reading information, thinking that they have learned it, um, that might not be leading to actual learning and to to actually assess whether they've learned it they need to test themselves test themselves on the information later um, to really get a gauge to see if they've actually learned it and as i talked about in the article uh, retrieving the information itself then has a direct effect on the information so retrieving it strengthens that memory uh, for later so if, if you're just studying over and over and over again, it might feel like it's working, um, but it's, that's a really ineffective way to learn. You want to um, do some studying and then test yourself uh, on the information to really uh, know if you've learned the material. You cited specifically a, a 2006 study. Um, I'm, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce the, the researchers' names, but do, can you tell me a little bit, bit about that? Yeah, so the study I, I cited, uh, the 2006 one you referred to, 
uh, was a study done by Rodiger and Karpicki, and uh, they were interested in whether studying something over and over again, um, how that stacked up with studying something and then testing yourself on it. So what they did is they had students uh, read a passage, and these were pretty interesting materials like on the sun or uh, sea otters. Um, one group studied the passage uh, once and then studied again a second time, and a second group studied the passage but then instead of studying it a second time, like the first group, they took a practice test on the information. Um, and so they were just asked, you know, what can you remember about the sun or sea otters? And then five minutes, two days or one week later, the students came back for a final test. And what they found was that after five minutes, the group that studied more did slightly better. But after two days or one week, it was the group that received the practice test that learned more. So um, this idea that testing actually enhances learning in a direct way was shown in this research um, and subsequent studies by these researchers and countless others really have shown uh, the same thing. How has your, your post on Medium or, or when you talk to people about the fact that they should take more tests, how has that been received generally? Yeah, so th that's interesting. I think... Um, at first, when people hear that it, my message is that we should test more, I, I usually get this eye roll. <laughs> um, uh, because again, most people think of testing as these high stakes situations. Um, but then I explain to them, well, testing uh, from a learning scientist perspective is really anything that gets students to retrieve information themselves. So it doesn't have to be these high stakes assessments. And I explained that testing has all sorts of benefits with learning. Um, and then they're like, okay, uh, let's hear more about that. But um, one thing I, I have a comment I have received before is, um, well, you're not really talking about testing. Um, and again, that's because in the educational world, testing is really this term that everyone thinks of as these high stakes assessments. But again, I try to, I'm trying to get us to um, view testing and use testing in a different way as a learning tool not simply as an assessment tool. Are there ways we can damper the anxiety that's associated with testing? Yeah, so a one great um, result that's come out of um, this literature on testing or retrieval practice is the fact that if you, the more retrieval practice you have your students do, the less anxiety they'll feel about uh, tests. So I cited a study in my Medium article where they did all this retrieval practice with these middle schoolers and high schoolers. Um, and when they asked the students how it made them feel about an upcoming exam, the students that had more retrieval practice actually reported that they felt less nervous about an upcoming exam in their class that was graded. So using these no stakes, low stakes quizzes, these games based on retrieval practice, um, these things will actually reduce um, testing anxiety, and which sounds sort of a counterintuitive, but that's what the research is telling us. Kind of off topic here, since you have this um, cognitive psychologist background with this this focus on, on learning and memory, are there any um, research projects that you're you're doing personally? Yeah, so I'm still um, actively engaged in research. Um, one thing that I've been looking into with um, some colleagues at UCLA is. Uh, this idea that maybe testing people before they're even exposed to ma the material can enhance learning. This is what's called pre-testing. So having students take a quiz 
on the information that you're now going to give them in the class. Um, there's some previous work that shows that even that's effective. Um, so that's one line of work uh, in the in the testing realm that I've been um, actively in- engaged with. Yeah, I think that actually sounds kind of fun. Like if you were throwing a test at me where basically I, I knew I had no repercussions. It was just like, let's just see what you know. Um, you know, there would be no anxiety, I would think. Yeah, there, there's yeah, there's there's very little anxiety. And as a as a teacher, you would you would you know you'd expect your students would bomb that <laughs> that pretest, right? Because you haven't even exposed the the students to the material yet. Right. Um, but what what might happen in that case is that when you then expose them to the material that you that you did test earlier, the students might think, oh wait, this was this was on that pretest. This might be important, so I'll really listen up. So it's a way as a teacher to be strategic in um, sort of they could they can pretest the important topics, um, and and so that's that's where the benefits uh, seem to come from is this uh, this attentional thing. Well, Nick, it's really fascinating stuff. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat with us about it. Um, if somebody wants to keep up with the work that you're doing, where's a good place to find you? Then go to my website. Um, they just Google my name. My website will pop up. Um, I also work for a company called Lasting Learning, and we're involved in the sort of public outreach of what the learning sciences say that we should be doing inside and outside of the classroom. So we talk to teachers and uh, students and parents about that stuff so they can visit lastinglearning.com to, to see more of that. And you seem pretty active on Twitter as well. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I forgot to mention Twitter. So yes, my Twitter handle is at Nick Soderstrom. Great. And that's uh, S-O-D-E-R-S-T-R-O-M. And of course, Nick preceding that. Um, Again, uh, we appreciate your time. Are you ready for our pop quiz? Yeah, sure. All right. First question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Uh, Psychology, of course. Uh, Why is that? (laughs) Well, uh, you know, I I say that I'm a little biased because I'm a cognitive psychologist. But, um, you know, I I, I love psychology because... uh, it's such a diverse field that you can learn about biology. You can learn about, you know, the, the brain and how it works. You can learn about um, social uh, constructs. And um, I think it the, the field of psychology, once you really start getting involved in it, um, I think it brings on a more open-mindedness um, to people and could it help, really helps them understand uh, probably one of the most complicated uh, things in the universe, and that's the human brain. I never took advanced psychology classes, but I got to tell you, I, I think um, the, the psychology classes that I did take, whenever I'm parenting, I'm always referring back to just like the conditioning <laughs> and the things that I learned in psychology. Um, it's right. been helpful, you know? Um, yeah. What What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Uh, teaching students uh, how to learn. So this idea of learning how to learn I think is one area that um, we just don't we don't do very well in in our educational system, and it's it's partly due I think um, to the fact that most people think that learning is intuitive, um, and that's really not the case, and that's backed up by decades of research. So learning works in unintuitive ways, um, and so getting students to learn how learning works and really how to study evidence informed study strategies will help them not only in school, um, but, you know, in college and in their careers, hobbies, things like that. What does every child deserve? Oh, wow. That's wow. That's a that's a really good question. Um, I think every child deserves uh, support and to be heard and um, to be uh, 
educated. I think every child deserves all those things. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Um, I think I think one big challenge is um, that there might not be as much flexibility um, in the system as teachers would like. I think a, a lot of times teachers' hands are tied behind their backs if they want to do certain things. So there's a lot of um, barriers if, if they want to test new things out or experiment with things in the classroom. So I think some administrative barriers um, often get in the way. What's the best gift to give an educator? Ooh, the best gift to give an educator. I mean, from my perspective, one of the biggest gifts is to give them a great education on how education works and learning and memory works. Um, so I guess I guess that would be my answer. Which teacher changed your life? Oh man, there have been so many. Um, I had a I had a great teacher, a professor at Western Washington University when I was a, a undergrad there. That um, his class he taught biopsychology, um, and in that class I really understood how making learning difficult can help learning stick. So that really stands out. My my postdoc advisor at UCLA, um, both of them, Doctors Robert and Elizabeth Bjork, um, that experience at UCLA was transformational. They just, they opened my eyes to, to a, a new way of thinking about education. So I'd say those, those two individuals as well. And last question, pen or pencil? <laughs> pencil for sure. All right, Nick, we really <laughs> appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Um, and again, if anybody wants to keep up with them, uh, you can follow him on Twitter and of course, check out um, his post on Medium. They're all very informative. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you, so if you want to send us an idea or a comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'd also love it if you'd leave us a five-star review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash classdismissedpodcast or on Twitter to search for us by typing in Class Dismiss. On behalf of Russ with School Status and Lissa representing all the teachers out there, I'm Nick Ward to go and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.